Lord's Supper. We're in the mini-series about worship, sometimes called communion, actually mostly called communion in, in our world or the Lord's Supper, sometimes called the Eucharist, um, which means Thanksgiving, not really our tradition. But I just want you to know about a bazillion 50-gallon drums of ink and probably a couple thousand gallons of blood have been spilt over this topic. Christians being violent, not just in their words, but actually in their bodies and decisions and actions, have hurt each other greatly about our union with Jesus and our unity with one another. And I would say it is a given that that is a ridiculous polarization. And there is no excusing any of what has been violent and sinful about those actions. That is undeniably clear. And a very breach of the topic of communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. But maybe, just maybe, the sacrament has gotten so much attention because there's something to it of power and grace. Maybe or just maybe the warnings that we're about to read about in the scriptures to not eat in an unworthy manner are real. But God also wants... Maybe, just maybe, eating from God's bounty is older and more important and needs more attention than our theological battles. Maybe it recalls something more ancient, more primeval in ourselves that we would um, eat from God's hand and not just snatch it from a tree. Maybe it's more basic and more important eating, sleeping, and being held than we could imagine. In Corinthians, Paul addresses the hearers of a Christian community, call it First Presbyterian of Corinth. Thanks for the one laugh. Thank you. I appreciate the little half giggle. Maybe or maybe that the, the First Pres of Corinth, they are a little bit more Gollum than Samwise. They see the power but they, and the grace, but they just want the power part. But it's like most things, as we've been talking about in consecration as part of our series on worship, that this is when God comes and corrects us in his love and his patience and his kindness. A true correction that hurts. And so that's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 11. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, he says to them. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then, examine themselves then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what is this thing that we do? that we do every week. What is this communion thing? What are we doing? What is God doing in it? If you've been to a traditional church before, most of them have a table in the front, and in the front it says something like, in remembrance of me, or do this in remembrance of me. This remembrance thing is a part of the answer to that question. What exactly is it? What are we doing in communion? What is God doing in communion? Well, there is a form, it's a really, I mean, there is a sense that is really important in the scriptures that we're doing remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me, he says twice. But it's not just memory. It's an embodied recollection for the here and now, like remember the Titans, remember the Alamo, but also an experience in which you're doing that. I like to call it somatic that means body commemoration, but, since, but that's because I'm kind of nerdy. Maybe better is it's getting the gospel stuck in your teeth and gut. Remembrance actually activates our lives, and uh, memory researchers will tell you this. One leading figure says, remembrance is not just the imprint of the past on us, it is the keeper of what is meaningful for our deepest hopes and fears. It's not just about the past. It's for us here and now, in our bodies, and particularly to communion, together. At communion, we remember redemption. We commemorate the covenant. We revel in God's promise to love his people. God covenanted, churchy word I know, but it's a great word, promised to rescue us from our sin and folly from our division, and bring unification. The covenant is God's entire relationship with God, or uh, God and his people, throughout scriptures, where the kind of uh, saying goes uh, throughout scripture is, I will be your God and you will be my people. The covenant promise. Our passage days in Corinthians, and it's telling of a story that is, reto- that is also told um, just before the scene you saw, um, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sets that location at the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a remembrance, an edible commemoration of the epic moment in the Old Testament where God delivers his people from Egyptian slavery. The Passover was the Old Testament gospel writ large. Israel put blood on top of their, or smeared blood on top, of their doors so that the angel of death would pass over it. Then God commanded his people to then reenact that drama on an annual basis. 
They would dramatize the 400 years of slavery, the anxiety of trying to escape, the exhilaration of future freedom every year. Now, just so you know, modern brain research and therapies are catching up to this instinct that embodied communal remembrance is good for the brain as it is good for the soul. So Jesus locates and asks what's the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, which becomes the Lord's Supper, which was actually the Passover Supper called a Seder. And so what we do every week is we have a Seder feast in light of God's covenant promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. And we gorge on this promise. But Jesus sharpens the point because the covenant is now carried out by him, in him, together in Christ. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance for me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You, you cannot understand how mind-boggling this would have been to the original hearers. All these years of giving themselves to this ritual, Jesus now points a big arrow towards himself in it. That he would be the long-awaited one who would rescue the people. Jesus had the audacity to say that his body and his blood reconfigures the entire ritual system of God's people at the time so they could re-see the, the genuine real covenant the whole way, but it has an exclamation part, mark on who Jesus is. Jesus proclaims that all of God's work in the world till now and all the future work that he will do comes through me. Jesus is either the greatest egomaniac that ever lived, or he is the Christ, the fulfillment of God's promise. And with this comes the first warning that the Corinthians get about drink, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If they do that, they'll be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. The Lord's Supper and the church as a whole has an absolute obsession with the uniqueness of Jesus. I know that it sounds what it sounds can sound like, exclusionary, if not downright rude. But I need you to remember the point that we are commemorating a covenant that we believe is fulfilled in Christ, Jesus, that he is the culmination of all that God has done in the world. And even in it, about what he will do in the world, I continue to do this until the great day where you eat with me again. I need to be honest with you. The Lord's Supper excludes. In churchy terms, it's called fencing the table. But it excludes based 
on our assessment, our belonging to this Jesus, the Christ of the covenant, who is our succor and our salvation. I know, I know, in our day, exclusion can be so unjust, and I really do believe it can be unjust. But we're not talking quite about the same kind of, not quite about, at all about the unjust exclusion that is prominent in our day. Communion is actually self-exclusion. In partaking, you exclude yourselves from normal society. Not the least of which is that you're eating with a bunch of, bunch of kind of jacked up sinners that, that hold the same thing. And by believing that Jesus actually serves us at this table in some incredibly spir- incredible spiritual way. While I believe it is a ritual, and rituals can be very good, and this is an incredible ritual, it's also about relationship. Look, y'all, ancient folk didn't come to church with their Christian friend and think, I want to be part of that. Everybody thought Christians were full of folly or insurrection or a bizarre cult or just plain gross. The term cannibal was used for Christians because of the supper. They were not some exclusive society you wanted to join. Your typical Jew or Roman in Paul's day wouldn't have felt excluded by being a supper. They wouldn't even feel relieved. They would never want to be asked to come to the supper. Communion, where we self-exclude because of our loyalty to Jesus, is food and drink of citizens of a very strange kingdom. You know my favorite Flannery O'Connor quote, you should know the truth and the truth will make you odd. We pour water on children's heads, pledge allegiance to a hidden kingdom, believe bloodshed 2,000 years ago cleanses us from sin, We eat an eccentric meal in remembrance of a deity, we believe, who A, lived a perfect life, performed miracles, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is coming back. Christians, every time you come to the supper, you're excluding yourself from the normies. The laugh proves so. You're swearing fealty to the wounded savior, a servant king, and a new life in an absolutely upside-down kingdom. Non-Christians, at the supper we ask you, who don't believe, to refrain from the supper. It ain't personal. Know that it's not because we think Christians are better than you. I can vouch for that as a pastor of them. It's about reminding you and us that We are a strange bunch who believe odd things. So asking you to refrain, you're welcome. But the fence, I need to say this, like any good fence, guides you to a gate. And the gate for us is Jesus, whom we've given ourselves to. And that gate ain't locked. And it's big enough to welcome you among all your doubts and sense of failure and sins that you know of and the sins against you. Fencing the table for unbelief is actually just an invitation to integrity. 
We don't want you to feel pressure to be odd like we are. Again, we're the weird ones. Back to you who are Christians. Each week, partake of this edible memory. Let your mind chew on it. Let your heart scrapbook its way through God's covenant promises, through church history, through the scriptures, and through your own life. Let him caption each of those photographs of your life. Gnaw on the fact that you get to eat with God. Let it get stuck in your teeth. So that's the first what is what's happening. What exactly is it? What are we doing in communion? What is God doing in communion? So at the Lord's Supper, we commune with God, but we also commune with God as God's family. Now, I haven't explained everything that was going on, and we don't exactly know, can completely reconstruct exactly what's going on in Corinth, but you don't have to be a biblical scholar to realize when you're reading this that some folks are showing up early and getting wasted. Some folks are just eating it all up, and other folks have nothing. Paul's just like, you guys, this is all wrong. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Man, I almost went way too down a rabbit hole on the phrase that is translated what, because I was like, that's, that's hot right there. What? I, don't, I couldn't figure out how to read it. Is it what? 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 You know, I, didn't, I just didn't know exactly how. But I actually had to write the sermon, so I couldn't go that far down that rabbit trail. Um, he says, do you despise the church and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Am I going to commend you for this? No, I'm not going to commend you. I can tell you this, especially for those of you who are like, oh, if we could just be a first century church, I would not take a call to First Pres Corinth. This is a mess. They've messed up. Because what they've forgotten about the Lord's Supper is that it's called communion, and not just communion with God, but communion with one another. As God's people. The Lord's Supper puts the co in commemoration and adds we to the me in remembrance. In it, we commune with the living God, but also commune with one another throughout the ages and through every barrier that exists. Time and space and history and geography. That's a heck of a rally. It does away with individualism and greediness and indifference towards the other and selfishness. They're humiliating the poor that can't afford to get there early. They got jobs who can't afford to lounge. They have their fill, but they don't have any desire to fill their family. Suffering selfishly is an act of division. It's not just fake fellowship, it's anti-fellowship. That's why he says, do you despise the very thing? You're practicing spiritual malpractice, a sacramental dereliction of duty. Because the supper is not just the Lord's Supper, it's the Lord's people 
partaking of the Lord's Supper together. It is an incredible rally, a rally of the redeemed. And it is a protest rally against individualism and self-reliance. It's a communion of the consecrated. And you can't do it by yourself or for yourself. It's just not what it's made for. Paul says, examine yourself so that you're discerning the body. And at that point, when he says the body, he's talking about the body of Christ. He goes back and forth in this passage a couple of times. And a couple of times, I'm not sure which one he's talking about, which may teach us something. In this passage, the body has those two meetings. But when he says discerning the body in verse 29, he's talking about us, one another. It's one of the reasons why I I like that we come up. We share it together and can see each other's faces. And so now he's not fencing the table against those who don't believe, but fencing the table for believers. You cannot partake of the supper individualized, selfish, or in a church unconscious manner. You can't come up here in the middle of division and gossip. You have to recognize the community of communion. The great theologian Springer Hyatt, when she was four years old, said, Daddy, when do I get to take community? That ain't that wrong. Smarter than we, she knew, or maybe. She always surprises me. But maybe we could lean in here. There's so many ramifications of this. I believe that 90% of church conflicts would go away if we took into account how we take the supper in an unworthy manner with the division in the church. Because we would stop. As Jesus tells us to do, lay your stuff at the altar, go back and reconcile, get right with one another, and then come up. Don't lie while you walk down here. Don't lie while you chew. Get that stuff done. Because of the kindness and mercy of Jesus. It's okay to stop. I've done it before. At least a half dozen times I've had to go to an elder after a, I mean, no one at Redeemer ever, but um, in previous churches, I've had to go and say, hey, are we straight? Can we do this thing together? Tough meeting. It's okay. If your friend you're in conflict with one another, that's normal. It's totally normal. The question is, are you, with that conflict, coming to the table for nourishment and kindness and grace to keep going towards each other? Gossiping, side chatter, holding on to your grudges with your sibling in the Lord is not the Lord's Supper. In fact, if we kept on reading it can be damaging not just to your soul, but to your body. You end up swallowing guilt and not the grace that it's intended for. Now, I know none of you ever struggle with conflict on the way to Sunday morning worship. I mean, we do because we've had to try to learn how to gorge on his grace and not the conflict that we have. The Hyatts have struggled with this so much, and frankly, I'm here a little earlier, and so I don't even always get to, I might have started the conflict, then I get to go away for a little bit, then I come back here, so. 
or they just create their own. Normally, they just create their own. Um, but we've had to come up with a supper safety plan. Again, I know it's foreign to all of you, but sometimes on Sunday mornings, the greatest conflicts happen in the Hyatt household. I know none of you get in big fights on the way. So we have this check system. There's a conflict between the kids. I know that's hard to imagine. Between spouses or friends, I know that's hard to imagine. If there is a conflict between Amanda and me, I know that's hard to believe. We do a a three-squeeze thing. We grab each other's hand, and we just do three squeezes. It means I love you, but in the context of the supper, what it means is I am broken and sinful. I know you're broken and sinful. Let's go get some grace. That's all it means. That's all Paul's talking about. That's all he's doing. To just agree on the way up here that your only hope is the kindness of Jesus to reconcile you as you walk together. And he's saying if you're not doing that, as simple as it, however you end up doing it, don't come. I told you, if you know the truth, the truth will make you odd. You'll be squeezing each other's hands all over the place. That's all right. Are we reconciled? Enough to partake in the supper. Not at all figured out, but enough to come to the supper. Let the supper train us toward reconciliation each time we take it. Examine ourselves. Make sure we're aligned as a body especially if you're in conflict. Examine yourselves to make sure you're walking up here is not telling a lie. Communion believes that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the covenant of God to bring redemption to the world, and it means that we believe that gospel for our siblings in Christ as well. That's what it is. To close... This is my body, which is for you. A new covenant. In the supper, it's like eating a sermon. It's eating grace. It's a mystery. This is the one thing I love where the Reformed Church, where we're pretty heady and we like to figure everything out. They let it just be a flat mystery. I love this instinct. Jesus is somehow really spiritually present in the supper. Let me read for you from one our standard from our standards. The Lord's Supper is of inestimable that word benefit. To strengthen his people against sin, to support them under troubles, to encourage and quicken them in duty, to inspire them with love and zeal, to increase their faith and holy resolve to beget peace of conscience and comfortable hopes of eternal life. Nourishment. An edible gospel. Communing with the God who created a community to commune with him. That's what we do at the supper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Help us in this odd ritual. Help us love you 
Help us believe you. Help us love one another. We pray in your name. Amen.